You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. Amen. Thank you, Mr. Short. Now we're having church. Thank you. And thank you for that offering. Let's, let's give the Lord thanksgiving. Oh God, we are grateful to be here in this place, safe to worship you, to gather, no fear to be in this time where we can turn our attention to you. So God, I pray that even in this late hours, we're getting a little uh, tired, uh, that I could still have everyone's attention for a few, a few moments as we turn to your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we, we better not turn this down quite yet, Brian. Everybody's going to fall asleep. Show of hands, who loves Christmas? Show of hands. Show of hands. All right. I love Christmas too. The hustle and the bustle, the presents, the decorations, the cookies. I think I've gained already about five pounds. Nielsville, please. I love you, but please lay off those cookies. It's a little too much. I love the Christmas cards. Do you love the Christmas cards? And even those letters that come with the four-point font, and it goes on and on and on, and we want to hear about how your kid got into Penn State, and how you're going to, sorry, is that too soon? (laughs) You know, just, it's wonderful. There's riches falling over the back. Love Christmas. Don't you love a white Christmas, a snowy, wintry Christmas? It's not really like that outside, but we spent nine years in Minnesota. We had winter Christmas every year. Seven years in Maryland, we've had at least two, right? At least two. California, the best you can ask for is a foggy Christmas. That's about all you get. But we love this season. But you know, as I've thought about this week, I'm wondering if I, if I love Christmas for the wrong reasons. Uh, of course, I know the meaning of Christmas. I'm a clergy, right? Jesus is the reason for the? Oh, you know too. But here's the thing. The, the story of Christmas, what really happened 2,000 years ago, it's so familiar to us, so familiar to me, I'll speak for myself, that I'm not paying attention until just the past couple of days and I really stop and start to, to think about that sweet baby Jesus. I haven't been paying attention. And maybe you can relate. Maybe tonight's the first chance you've had to wonder and to worship and to love what Christmas truly means. We would do well to revisit the story and what it tells us about God. What it tells us about ourselves, what it tells us about this mixed up world that we're living in. The other night, was it last night, Cheryl, we watched Elf? Raise your hand, have you seen the movie Elf? Love Elf. I gotta try spaghetti with uh, syrup sometime. (laughs) Will Ferrell, he loves Christmas. He's just a big kid. He loves the idea of Christmas, yet something was missing in the movie. The true awe. And I fear that we're not paying attention to what the angels are singing, what the, the shepherds are responding to. We're not listening again to the truth and grace 
that the world's Savior has truly come. It's so easy with all the lights and decorations and presents and family time and, and all the rest to get to overlook the sacrifice, the wonder, the glory of a cell phone ringing. <laughs> a child born to die, to heal what is broken in us, in me, all for love. The, the gospel of John helps us pay attention to Jesus Christ. It says, pay attention to Jesus, his sacrifice, the awe of his beauty and his glory. And it focuses only on the last three years of his life. And you have to get to the very end of the book to find out what John was really trying to say from the beginning to the end. It says in John 20, verses 30 to 31, he says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John's saying, pay attention. This book is written for, for you to believe in and to live. He, he's not known as John the Evangelist for nothing. In the ancient church, John's gospel had the symbol of, does anyone know? Anyone know? Choir? Of course, if you've been writing this, your big dissertation on John, come on. An eagle, of course. That's right. He's not nodding. <laughs> the ancients believed that an eagle could look into the sun and not look away, could, could look straight into the sun. And so John's gospel had symbolized for Christians for two millennia that we should look on eternity without flinching as we journey towards the goal of union with Christ. John's prologue, the, the beginning of his gospel that I just read a little bit earlier, it's about the greatness of the Messiah. It's about his eternal pre-existence with the Father. It's about the fact that the whole creation was made through him. That he is the infinite majesty in his essence. He is the light of life of, the huma of humanity. But the hour is late and kids are starting to fall asleep. So I just want to focus on just one verse. Verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the word of God, living truth. What's really real from our creator. And this word became flesh, sarks, blood and flesh, the, the real thing, not some kind of ghost or fairy, real flesh and blood. Now let's look at this verse, or this part of the verse. We have seen and beheld his what? His glory. Why we've seen his glory? Why not the word became flesh and God made, God and man were reconciled? Wouldn't that, that would that would roll off the tongue. Or why not, and the word became flesh and the rule of Satan was destroyed. Or how about the word was made flesh and the power of sin and death were defeated. What about love and justice? Why didn't John write about love and justice? Why? And we saw his glory. Because, listen, 
in John, we discover that this Jesus wants for us more than anything else is to behold his glory, to see his sacrifice on the cross, to wonder at his beauty, to marvel at his words, to linger with Jesus as his disciples did, to behold his glory is our greatest need. Now, I was a psych major in college, UC Davis. It's now Division I, but it's no North Carolina. But hey, uh, psych major, psych 101, and you learn about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Oh, good. Hey, yeah. He laid out a five-tier pyramid of human needs that would build up and up and up. So at the very base, the, the lowest but most common need were the basics, food and water. Then there was a need for safety and security, and we have Germantown's finest protecting us, protecting your cars in the front and back of the, uh, of the church. Then you move up a level, being loved, friendship, intimate relationships. We don't need as many of those, don't we? And as we get older, don't you have fewer and fewer really close friends, but you hang on to dear friends and family? That's a, that's a higher order. Then it moves up to feelings of accomplishment, esteem, prestige. And finally, the highest need at the pinnacle of the model was self-actualization actualization, or, or self-fulfillment. Achieving one's full potential as a human being. Becoming all that you could be as a human being. And all religions but Christianity strive for this self-fulfillment. Strive to reach higher, do better, be a greater human being, self-actualization, but not faithful followers of Jesus. Not all of us can even say those words. Our identity is in Christ. John's saying at the outset of his gospel, right where we expect the Christmas story, he gives us the essence of its meaning. Our greatest need is to behold his glory. That's why if you keep reading in John's gospel, he mentions Moses. It says in verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Why bring in Moses? It's so odd that he would do that at the very beginning. It's because... We know Moses had his greatest prayer. And what was Moses' greatest prayer? Moses of the Old Testament. Do you know his greatest prayer? God, show me your glory. In the book of Exodus, Moses had everything a person could ask for. He had water, manna, and quail. For security, can you do much better than a pillar of fire and smoke? He had loving relationships and all the responsibility and accomplishments and esteem and prestige one could hope for. But his highest need, he couldn't actualize or fulfill himself. Show me your glory, Lord. The glory of God. The kavod of God. The weightiness. The, the doxa. The, the lightness of God. Show me your light. Bring me that weight. Let me experience it, O oh God. The key definition of glory is essence. So it's really saying, show us your essence, Lord Jesus. Give us truth in the midst of lies. 
Give us grace and love in the midst of guilt and hate. And please give us yourself. We need a Savior. Show of hands, who here needs more grace and truth and love and joy? I'm the only one. There we go. And peace and hope. I hope so because it's yours. It's here for you. Because the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have beheld his glory, glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Oh God, God of glory, God of wonder. As the lights dim and it becomes dark in this place, so God, we pray that the light that lights every human heart would illuminate, would bring truth and glory into the midst of the darkness. Amen.